Oh wait, how do you spell your? How do you say your last name? Growlick. Okay, good. That's what I wrote down phonetically because I was like, I think growl. Growl like a bear, lick like a lollipop. Now you'll never forget. Got it. I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today, we like to welcome to the podcast, Lance, Lance Growlick. Uh, Lance is the founder and CEO of Ion Franchising. You can see his logo behind him. Look at you. An industry-leading franchise consulting and development group that represents over 500 sh- franchise brands and business opportunities within 90 categories that look like go categories. I'm like, that's not the right word. Lance helps uh, prospective entrepreneurs find the perfect franchise for free. He also assists independent business owners in creating a franchise system. There's a lot more, but we'll talk all about it. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, How is the weather? Are you in New York right now? No, I am not in New York this week. I'm in Las Vegas where I live most of the time. And the weather is hot. (laughs) Hot as heck, dry as can be. And Mm -hmm. I'm inside for a reason. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been upper 90s here. No. You're still pretty dry, though. It's oh, the, it says as dry, It's yeah. the poor suckers that are stuck. I mean, people that are stuck with humidity, that's the problem. Something wet. I really, actually really like humidity. I'm built for humidity. Uh, come from island people. Um, and every time I'm in the humidity, I'm like, <sighs> just a little bit. Like, it doesn't have to be a lot. Just a little bit. Um, so Lance, tell us what was your first job? Jeez, my first, oh, my first, let's see, where I actually got paid. If you're defining a job as getting paid. Yes. I was 13 years old and a family friend said, Lance, you have a good personality. And I sell sweatshirts at a flea market. In New York, they were called flea markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah the, the, they call them that here. And, and uh we would like you to come work with us and sell sweatshirts. Russell Athletic brand sweat sweat mm-hmm. shirts and pants and whatever. So uh, I'll never forget. I got like a few hours of training. I didn't realize this was going to be the gig, but I got a few hours of training and they left me. Husband and wife, they left me. They said, you're on your own. You're great. See you soon. <laughs> and and I brought, you know, in the old days, it was a boom box. Mm-hmm. You know, it said, so you have a boom box? I said, I got a boom box. Mm-hmm. Bring your boom box and bring a cooler with some food and beverage in it. And uh, yeah, and I was 13, 13 and a half. Um, I mean, I had a paper route before that that technically would have been my first job, but that would be boring. That is this, boring. This was my first legit job. I got paid a lot and then I negotiated some commission in there uh, more than the hourly because, uh, you know, it was strenuous holding my I couldn't go to the bathroom, so I had to hold it in for all that time. Somebody would steal all my stuff. So, oh, my yeah. gosh. That is hilarious. It's so funny. Like, most, like, and I ask that question because a lot of the time it translates somehow, right? So, we currently it's me. sell stuff, right? Very well, then rarely. I could, then I can tell you about my valet parking gig. I there wasn't you old, go. I wasn't old enough. That was my other next job. I wasn't old enough to be a valet parker, so I was a lot watcher because- oh. On the beach, where I grew up in New York on Long Island, they parked all the cars and left the keys in the visor. 
and someone had to watch the lot. So that's when I learned how to really get sunburnt on my chair with my sunblock I was supposed to be using and a, another cooler and boom box. And I had to watch all these cars. But that's also where I learned how to drive a stick shift. Right. So do you take a cooler and a boombox with you everywhere now? I, I, I don't even know. have a cooler or a boombox anymore. So sad story. You have a phone and a Bluetooth speaker. Bingo. That's it. <laughs> An indoor plumbing with a refrigerator and a And a Starbucks. Yeah, on you got the street. it. <laughs> All right. So give us the cliff notes on your career journey. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Both my grandfathers were entrepreneurs. Uh, grandpa, one grandpa was from Poland and didn't understand much of what he said most of the time, but he built uh, an empire in the grocery business. Started with a little grocery store and built it into uh, 11 full-fledged supermarkets. My other grandfather was a big real estate attorney. So I think you know there's a whole nature versus nurture argument as to, or discussion as to how people get mm -hmm. into entrepreneurship. and. For me personally, uh, while I do believe it's somewhat environmental, mm -hmm. I think some people, most people are born with some sort of gene that says, uh, I would like to work on my own. I would like mm -hmm. to control my own destiny entirely. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, people today are forced into it due to certain economic conditions. I spoke mm -hmm. to a gentleman yesterday that just lost a job, 15 years at an amazing company, and they did cutbacks and he's looking for a franchise now. So for me, I realized at a really young age that I probably had to work for someone to learn something and put mm -hmm. it on my resume after I got my economics degree in college. And, uh, you know, so, well, let me tell you a side story. So I'm in college, I'm in college. And in the old days, cause I'm now 53 in the old days, uh, my mom had a joint checking account with me. Mm -hmm. And the old days you call and check your balance at the yep. bank or you waited that. for your statement to come in the mail. I did all of those things. And uh, so mom calls me one day and says, why do you have all this money in your account? Not only have you not used as much as I thought, you actually have a lot of extra money. I said, mom, I got a job. And she goes, you're not allowed to get, your get a job. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, we pay for your college so you can get in and out in four years and come work for dad, which is on Wall Street, so mm -hmm. another side story. And I was like, what do you mean? Well, I got a job in a bar. And I was a bouncer, I was a bartender, I had a blast. Mm -hmm. And it was an amazing learning experience. And I really liked that industry, the small snapshot that I got. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I get out of college, I thought I was gonna work for my dad's company on Wall Street. And it, it wasn't that exciting. I did it through the summers, I did it out of college. And I got a call from uh, my, my true uncle that was an investment banker and his best friend, which was my pseudo uncle, Uncle Steven, who was very wealthy from tech, Uncle Steven wanted to create a billion dollar restaurant company. And he heard I was bored and he know, knew I had a personality and he could snap me up cheap. And right. he did. And I started off as a host mm -hmm. at TGI Fridays in Phoenix. He bought four TGI Fridays restaurants. He gave me this crap story about how I'm gonna be a manager. And I ended up living in his guest house making $8 an hour. Bussing tables. <laughs> and bussing tables and doing whatever. So I worked my way up very quickly mm -hmm. until I was sitting next to him, listening to him negotiate deals. And we went from four stores to 65 stores within five years. Wow. 225 million a year in revenue. 
Um, and uh, and then That's I left. a lot of store openings. Uh, yeah, and a lot of more acquisitions. We mm -hmm. did do uh, quite a bit of new store development, but there were quite a few acquisitions. Um, because I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, I believe that, and I'm a detail guy, mm -hmm. I believe I picked up pretty quickly from Stephen, um, the gentleman he hired to run our TGI Fridays franchise is a very, very good friend of mine and mentor of mine, mm -hmm. of mine today. Oh, wow. And he and I, he's a, an amazing referral source for me as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we've, been, we've been friends ever since. And uh, I learned a lot from him. That's really so, awesome. Uh, but that's, that's the origin story, so to speak, uh, of what kind of shot me out of the cannon. Yeah. Um, but, you know, along the way, I, I, you know, like TGI Fridays was a job. It wasn't my own uh, business. Mm -hmm. uh, and then from there, I took some other crappy little jobs and, and, you know, to make my way up. And eventually I was like, I'm going to be my own boss. And I've owned a few franchise brands. I created mm -hmm. some of my own brands. But I'm one of those guys, as you could probably tell, being a fast talker, I, I get bored easily. I'm mm -hmm. a startup guy. I mm -hmm. love the thrill of the hunt, the kill, the challenge. Um, maybe that's why my first marriage didn't last very well. It did last a while, but it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm not good at picking partners. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I enjoyed the heck out of the challenge that I went through in learning the puzzle owning my skills and all these years later we can dive in a, or unpack a, unpack whatever pieces you want i i love what i do today mm -hmm. which is represent more franchise brands than anybody mm -hmm. and i help people avoid a lot of the mistakes that i made um because i think franchising is really easy to make money yeah if, and i want to talk about they, yeah yeah, I got lots of questions about that. Um, you and Perfect. I. Well, I'll stop I, talking. Ask yeah, away. Yeah, you're good. So, like in our pre in the pre interview when we talked, where we like we bonded over the whole restaurant stuff because I worked in restaurants like from country clubs to burrito places, um, and just to watch, you know, restaurants are a place to really learn a lot about how business works. Um, Absolutely. And I and I and I maintain that servers are their own little business owners. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I could tell you if there are so many successful people I know mm -hmm. that are not in restaurants today, mm -mm. but if they worked a restaurant job as a server, as a cook, as a busboy or a, host, a bartender, or hostess, anything, it's amazing how much that helps you really empathize with mm -hmm. people in general. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always funny because I'll like, um, anytime I'm in a restaurant, my mom was actually telling me the other day, it's kind of like a side story, but she's like, <laughs> yeah, I was at a restaurant the other day and I pre bust. And the lady was like, thank you so much for peer busting. And my mom was like, my daughter would kill me if I didn't do that. <laughs> and I was like, I've got you all. I get taught them how to tip. I taught them all. And my mom worked in restaurants. She worked at the, I don't know if you know much about the Denver music scene, but my mom worked at the Family Dog downtown in Denver, which was like not heard of that. the huge, like, I can't remember who owned it. He still owns like Ticketmaster, which is one of the bigger, one of the bigger ticket franchises. Right. Um, so yeah, she used to work, she used to work in restaurants, but like I taught her how to pre-bus and I, like, you know, there's just these detail skills yep. that, that you have to hone as a server. Like, and I pre-bus all the time. Drives my family too. nuts. I do. I'm always packing everything. I'm always pre-busing. Um, I know. Or like I've taught my, my family to pre-bus. So like they'll pre-bus my daughter will be like, love it. Stacking everything up or like she'll take everybody's, you know, take yep. everybody, and yeah, it's just great. So 
I don't think everybody understands how franchises work. So if you'll just give us like the nuts and bolts on what is a franchise sure, um, and well, how do we work them? A, a franchise is, uh, it, it's a legal system where somebody, when somebody buys a franchise, mm -hmm. you're buying the rights to use uh, a trademark. Essentially, mm -hmm. you're buying a license mm -hmm. to uh, use somebody's trademark on your building. Let's use McDonald's as an example, because everybody knows of McDonald's franchises. Mm -hmm. So you're paying a one-time fee, which is the franchise fee. Mm -hmm. Franchise fee could be anywhere from $20,000 to $70,000, depending mm -hmm. on the brand. And it's a one-time fee. And, and that's for them to basically give you the keys to the kingdom and educate you and train you. In some cases, if you're McDonald's, they're flying a team of people to your part of the country to mm -hmm. stay in a hotel for a week and train you, et cetera. It's a lot of money invested in a franchise uh, if you're a franchisor. The franchisor is the one that actually owns the franchise, like McDonald's corporate. The franchisee or prospective franchisee is somebody looking at franchises. Mm -hmm. So you pay your franchise fee and you're paying some sort of ongoing royalty. It could be either, uh, typically it's a percentage of sales, 3 4%, 5%, mm -hmm. 6 etc. Some franchises actually do a flat fee. Uh, some are a sliding scale. Um, but in, included in a franchise is uh, an understanding that there's going to be an, a certain amount of control that a franchisor mm -hmm. is going to exercise over a franchisee. So with McDonald's, for example, you're going to have, you're, you're told, here's the operations manual and this is it. So mm -hmm. no, Jamie, you cannot wear a pretty pink blouse at McDonald's. Here is your uniform mm -hmm. and here is your cute little hat. And that's mm -hmm. what you're going to be wearing no matter what. Uh, in that, addition, go ahead. I was going to say you purchase. Mm -hmm. You purchase according to what McDonald's wants you to purchase. This isn't a from simple, their vendors. Exactly, preferred mm -hmm. vendors, mandated vendors. You cannot go to Costco and say, "I found ground beef on sale. I'm going to go make my own burgers." So you have to, in its entirety, follow everything. So control is an incredibly important part of franchising because there are licensed opportunities, true licensing deals out there. Mm -hmm. Well, and a lot, if McDonald's was licensed, you as a franchisee would have your Big Mac and have your filet of fish and everything else McDonald's has. But if you choose to have hot dogs or, um, you know, something that's not on the menu, you mm -hmm. want to do a, a Philly cheesesteak, you could. In mm -hmm. franchising, you absolutely cannot. And, uh, and there is a, a certain amount of training and support. It's the ongoing support that is absolutely crucial in a franchise. And, and you know, the, you didn't ask, but the obvious advantage of a franchise is that these are proven business models yeah. that, you know, CPAs love because this isn't, you know, you can completely take the guesswork out of it. Mm -hmm. I work with CPAs on a regular basis on behalf of clients mm -hmm. that ask me questions like, well, why do you think this, that, or the other thing? And I show them the franchise disclosure document. I show them the earnings claim. Mm -hmm. and now I'm getting the legal stuff that we can cover later if we have time. Yeah. But there are uh, many proven aspects of franchising. Now, the hard part about franchising, there are plenty of smart people to get into franchising they're not good franchisees. They don't trust the process. They don't follow the system. They don't listen really well. And worse, they don't really have a good work ethic. And, you know, if you don't show up to work, especially when it's your own brand and you don't have good people that you've trained, mm -hmm. you're not going to do well. 
So I, I just kind of want to go back to McDonald's real quick. Doesn't McDonald's as the company, like the corp, don't they own the real estate as well? Isn't that? Well, how not they, in all scenarios. This comes up a lot. But I, I, like, I don't know why, like why I think that or hear that or I don't know. Well, in the early days when everybody watched the founder movie, there were scenarios ah, where, you know, Ray Kroc would buy the land and then he'd sell the franchise and he was the landlord. So the scenario that you're talking about, there are plenty of franchisees that own the land themselves today, mm-hmm. but in a lot of resale situations, corporations own the land. I mean, IHOP, for example, International House of Pancakes, known mm-hmm. as IHOP today, and, and when they were franchising, and, and they probably still are, they're not in my portfolio, but what they would do to expedite their franchising, in some cases, they'd get a lease deal or they'd buy some land, build an IHOP, and look for a franchisee. And if they didn't find a franchisee, they operated it themselves. Hmm. So uh, no doubt as a CPA, you certainly know, you know, you, you can easily get rich with real estate, especially if you have a business to put on your real estate. Very helpful. The SBA likes to make loans to those people when you're doing real estate and the business. Yeah. The SBA loves those. Well, we were talking earlier about veterinary practices. Oh, there's building two. How much yes. would you like? <laughs> Um, so talk, you kind of touched on this, but kind of give us some of the pros and cons of um, franchising over starting your own business. Well, the definite pro is that you truly have a proven model. And when mm-hmm. you investigate properly, you know, keep in mind, my services are free. Mm-hmm. I get uh, commissions, success fees based on me successfully placing somebody with one of my brands. Mm-hmm. So by avoiding me and not using me and going directly to a brand, you don't save any money. This isn't a real estate deal per se. Mm-mm. So I will be your advocate and I will show you brands based on who you are and what your experiences are, your mm-hmm. lifestyle, your comfort zone and risk, to- risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll find a brand that's suitable for you. But like, for example, I have guys today that want to call with a major staffing brand that believe it or not is still doing phenomenally well, 850 franchisees or so. Yes, crazy. And a uh, proven brand, but this was one particular franchisee that didn't do so well. Mm. And he didn't follow the model and he needs out. And you know, one man's problem is another man's opportunity mm-hmm. uh, or woman. Yes. And uh, so franchising the advantage is it's proven you're, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. Mm-hmm. And and there's an opportunity to really scale and grow and not necessarily worry about much. You just have to follow the system and execute their plan within your own business. You know, the cons are that there are some people that feel like they're thrown in the bo- in a box and told what to do. And the key is ripped away. You know, the key, key is buried forever and they're mm-hmm. stuck in this, in this box. And, and the reality is uh, that's more of a mindset thing because I know a lot of very wealthy people and families that buy franchises mm-hmm. as really a starting point for things they m- might have never done before. Mm-hmm. Just because a, franchi- a family was successful in real estate doesn't mean if they start to open some Popeye's chicken franchises that they're, they're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. But what if, and certainly not, what if they, starting your own chicken concept can you imagine doing that if you've never done it before so i know and why would you (laughs) there are people that do it there are people that do it they wake Um, up in the morning and they think it's sexy it's a sexy business getting into the food business yes i saw you you can't beat cane sauce i'm sorry you can't well that's good stuff 
We have others that, yep. <laughs> I need her as a Canes now. <laughs> I love I love that you're a fan. My my friend in Vegas owned all the Canes in uh, several states. They just, I mean, not like just just, but they just opened a couple here in Denver. It's right down the street. There's People a talk about Canes. They 30 talk about minute line. 30 minute line to get. I have one called Huey Magoo's that's pretty incredible. The Wingstop executive team is uh-huh. doing it. I do like Wingstop. I like chicken. Yep. You had me so uh, the cons of the cons of franchising is the fact that if you feel if you're one of those people that didn't do your due diligence mm-hmm. and jumped into a franchise and later thought we should do this or we should do that or we should mm-hmm. have this or I don't really like the uniforms you don't you don't have that authority now mm-hmm. myself when I was a Wingstop franchisee which is which I was. I was voted by my peers onto the Franchise Advisory Council. And then I became president of the Franchise Advisory Council. So I was a mouthpiece for franchisees. Yeah, you got to make the changes that you thought were exactly. And it was frustrating at times as Mm -hmm. the council unanimously agreed with certain things. Mm -hmm. And corporate was slow to adopt for their own reasons, which are reasonable. But eventually, you know, we we got our way. That's awesome. Um, You know, and I, you know, as a CPA, um, I've seen like super amazing franchise owners and I've seen people just totally tank, (laughs) like lose the farm, totally tank. Um, And I just want to ask you, because I kind of have some thoughts about this just based on what I've seen, which isn't a whole lot, but I don't have a huge huge amount of franchisees. but like, what are the best, maybe like personality types or, you know, prior, prior, you know, career knowledge or whatever for somebody to purchase a franchise? Well, wonderful question. The, the first thing is, when people come to me, about 50% of the people that come to me have an idea of what they either do want or might want. Mm-hmm. And they certainly have an idea of what they don't want. I have mm-hmm. a lot of people come to me and say, I do not want anything in the restaurant or food business Mm -hmm. but then I have just as many people say I really want something in the food business Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's just not suitable and I have to break it to them and say number one you don't have enough money to do with what you want with what you want Mm -hmm. but I have quite a few other franchise brands that are suitable for them now by the way on my website Mm -hmm. I do have an assessment that is free and the assessment is is quite scientific and it gives me a good starting point it gives me a really good starting point mm-hmm. as to what your comfort level is, risk tolerance, based on your skills, uh, based on your history, what it is, what franchise brands not only might be suitable and what industries mm-hmm. that might be most suitable. And, and it might spit out some actual brands and categories uh, for me based on these individuals. That's interesting. So that is incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I can tell you this. Uh, let's see, staffing company. I just mentioned a staffing company. I have several mm-hmm. of those. If you aren't good with people or sales, or you're not comfortable with people or sales, you cannot own a staffing franchise. So I often see people that, you know, look, I worked for a, a major brand years ago as their mm-hmm. head of operations, VP and running mm-hmm. a company out of California. And I'll never forget, we had a very small committee that internally would decide who would be a franchisee for us. Mm -hmm. And I had this big burly NFL 
offensive lineman worth a lot of money sitting in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, it's fantastic that you want to be a franchisee for us. Mm -hmm. But I have to ask you one question. Who is going to run this franchise? Who is going to run this location and all the others that you have planned because you're going to sign a, you're looking to sign a multi-unit deal. If, if they don't give me an immediate answer, it's a major red flag. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of them give me an immediate answer. Oh, I have a whole team and this is what we're going to do. And these two are going to go for training. And, mm-hmm. but those always don't work out well because are, are you, who runs your business best? You or someone else? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm good. At what I've mastered over the years, and it took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I have mastered, I'm sorry. It does. <laughs> I've mastered, <laughs> I've mastered hiring people mm-hmm. and training them mm-hmm. to be mini me's in their own right. I don't ever want them to be me exactly. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I purposely hire people that are good at things that I don't even like doing. Like I hate admin work. Mm-hmm. So if I could find somebody that likes doing spreadsheets, mm-hmm. wonderful. That's even better. So I don't have to do them. I would rather read them. Yes. <laughs> Give me the bottom line numbers. Thanks. Exactly. Yeah. You know, in my experience, you know, and I've only seen a few, but in my experience, you know, I'm looking at like high level managers, um, you know, corporations who think they know how to run small businesses coming into a franchise and it just, or like they can't leave their job. So who's running the franchise? Exactly. And it just goes south a lot of the time because they just don't, they come in thinking they know how to run a business. Exactly. Um, so, and it's like a small business is not you sitting in the C-suite. It's yeah. just not. One of, the, one of the biggest pieces of what I do and what the best franchise brands have already set mm-hmm. up is every franchise brand, almost 600 that I represent, fit into one, one they all fit into a different category. Number mm-hmm. one, I have a major salon brand, one of the most successful ones out there. Mm-hmm. you have to be an owner operator. They don't want an executive level absentee owner. Mm-hmm. However, having said that in that same brand, I have a friend who has 19 of these hair salons and I can assure you he doesn't work more than six or seven hours a week, Mm-mm. but he is now proven to the corporation, the franchisor. Mm-hmm. So he has that luxury. But he but started as an owner operator. He started as an owner, owner opera, operator, worked really hard for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. understood how to work through his people, hire great people, mm-hmm. and, and get the job done. And today he has 19 locations. As a CPA, you would love this. That's 70, 75,000 a location. That's awesome. 155,000 or so to open one of, the, one of his salons, uh, one of the franchise, franchisors' salons, mm-hmm. but, you know, in, in, in this particular market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a great business. That's really cool. I just, it's really, it's a, it's a great way also for technicians, right? People who are technicians to expand like what they do and be owner operator, but also learn how to run a business. A lot of personal trainers want to open a a gym. They do. And it's a lot of of franchise (laughs) fitness, franchise fitness. We got, we have tons of gyms and there's, there's a lot of phenomenal ones and Mm -hmm. boutique fitness is hot today. It's actually a thing. Yeah, it's really cool. I'll actually go to a I go to a training gym. So it's a smaller gym. I saw your guns. Yeah. I got guns. 
Um, so do, 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 where, where are we? So let's talk about, um, you know, what kind of capital you said like 20 to 50,000 for a franchise fee, but what are we looking at? Like, what is the fee range? And then how do people come up with this money? So typically the SBA will give you, you'll have to put up about 25%. Mm -hmm. Now let's back up to if you are a franchise, even newer franchise brands can apply and get on the SBA registry. If you're on the Small Business Administration registry, it is, well, you can then easily get an SBA loan if you meet all of the criteria. Criteria number one, you have a resume that shows some semblance of success. Yes, the documentation is many inches of paperwork. That's about a couple of feet. Two feet sometimes. <laughs> But you have to have a resume that shows some semblance of success historically. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have experience in what you're going to be doing, mm -hmm. but you know, it has to be, uh, look, if you never had a job in your entire life and you want a large SBA loan, it might be tough. Yeah. So 25% is the normal down payment, although you can get a down, you can put a down payment down in some instances as low as 10 or 15%. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, typically 10% is pretty rare, but 15 or 20% is, it could be more common, but 25% is a good guideline. Now, the SBA has a rule that if you have cash on hand of one and a half times what you're looking for in a loan, they're going to see your cash and go, yeah, use, use that cash. You don't need us. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they really enforce that over the years, but recently they're enforcing it a lot more. They're asking for big statements. <laughs> yes. They want to know. So, yeah. So, uh, so the SBA loans are incredibly popular. The rates, 2.75% is an SBA deal above prime. Prime, fortune, fortunately, is, is very low now. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as a fixed rate on an SBA loan. They're all adjustable. And uh, there is no prepayment penalty. So you can, you can pay it at any time, pay it off at any time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and... Look, it's, it's money that's available because if it's not an SBA loan, unless you have home equity, mm -hmm. uh, unless you have a retirement account, which we can talk about as well. You and I um, kind of touched on that the last time yes, we talked. Um, yep. And, you know, you're, you're limited. You're not going to go to your local bank unless you're very wealthy mm -hmm. and have assets from in a million places. Mm -hmm. You're not going to go to your local bank and say, I want a loan for a franchise. I would like well, to do some donuts now. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Would you like them delivered? We'll uh, call it in right now. I'm in. <laughs> so, um, you know, but the other big thing, you know, as you know, as uh, I'm sure you know, as a, as a CPA, I think mm -hmm. it was 74 when the ERISA laws came about. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, there was this, you know, economic stimulus that was part of it. And not a lot of people that I know of, I mean, took advantage of that until recently. Yeah, all it's of a been sudden, the last... I started seeing those about 10 years ago. That's the first that's, time I saw one. That's exactly and I was like, what, what I What is this? About 10 years ago was the first time I saw it, and mm -hmm. I still never really paid attention to it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, what's a rob? Oh, rob, I get it. You rob your money from you? No, that's not it. But it was a rollover business startup loan. It's a mm -hmm. robs. Mm -hmm. and, and you're allowed to take money out of your 401k, not a Roth, but, mm -hmm. but it's got to be a 401k type you know, something similar, but mm -hmm. could be a 403B like my wife has, but a, you know, 
you, you are borrowing from yourself, but it's got to be set up very specifically. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you know all this. But I do. C corporation. It's got to be a C corporation. You're no really- self-dealing. You have to be very no. careful. You can't turn around and buy your own truck from yourself with your C corporation. That invalidates the whole thing. Absolutely. There's very specific rules and there's a lot of, you know, I work with many different firms that do this. Mm-hmm. I work with a firm that's all CPAs that do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a couple here in Denver that do this. Perfect. Well, we'll yeah, talk that. We'll me. talk after and compare notes. Yeah, they, they I see collaboration in our future. Yeah. So we call those directed equity transactions also. Um, so that might be the other name people hear, um, just because there's some, I think one of the bigger companies that do it is called directed equity here in Colorado. So, um, I also call them directed equity, um, business financing or something. I don't. Right. Yeah. But yeah, but generally they're called Rob's. Well, and, and the way I get it, doesn't mm-hmm. matter where they're from or how smart they are. People say, Hey, I heard you could borrow money from your 401k. How do you do that? And, and the reality is, you know, the fees range from as low as, you know, 3000 to mm-hmm. as much as 6,000 and everything in between yeah. one time fee. But then there's maintenance fees because yeah. annually there's, as you were mentioning, there's certainly maintenance that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But you know, you now have a C corp, and mm-hmm. you know, you you're buying stock in your own company with your own money, um, and it's uh, it's it's a great vessel. I had a guy recently buy a a restaurant bar concept, and you know, he had cash, but he uh, needed another about seventy five, eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and he just t- took money out of his uh, out of his four hundred one k. Yeah. Now, what what about what about the CARES Act? Because yeah, you're laughing because you know most people. Um, you know, I actually don't. The CARES Act on the NOLs. Well, with the, with the CARES Act through the end of unless they extended it, I think it's through the end of uh, this year, end of mm-hmm. 2020. Um, you are able through the CARES Act because of economic yeah. conditions today, you're able to borrow up to a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars out of your 401k. Mm-hmm. So technically. You don't need to do a robs and pay anybody any fees. No. And and you know and you don't even have to pay the taxes on that money. There's no penalty as part of the. Well, right. So it's penalty free. Penalty um, free. Although you have to pay the taxes you for do. three you years. Can, three years, I think you have up. To yes. Three years to pay. So you have up to three years to pay the taxes. You also have three years to pay it back. Yeah. So if you paid the taxes for three years, and then you paid it back at the end of those three years, we can go back and amend returns um, for that. So. You know, some of the experiences I've seen with Rob's, again, like I started seeing these about 10 years ago, um, and I've only seen just a couple. I've seen a few of them. They're not hugely popular here. Um, I know there are some franchises that like a lot of people do these these in, like Christian Brothers. A lot of theirs, I think, are Rob's. Um, But, uh, and then I think, um, what is it? The Sandwich People. Jimmy John's. I think they have, they're one of the big Rob's ones. You know, you you were alluding to it before, you know, when it comes to, if it's a corporate individual mm-hmm. that either gets downsized or feels they're going to get downsized. It's not choose. even that. They just think that they can run businesses. <laughs> right. But, but when this they is my jump, experience with this. <laughs> you're absolutely right. But when they jump out, when they jump out, you know, instead of using home equity, maybe there's a spouse involved that mm-hmm. says, Hey, we're not touching our home equity, Mm-mm. but let, let me, let me take it out of the retirement account because I don't want the overhead of the loan or maybe they can't mm-hmm. get the loan because of whatever reason. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an option. It's it an is option. an option. It's a, it's an option that needs to be weighed very carefully. 
Absolutely. Um, and you know, I actually had somebody ask in a forum the other day, like who has done these? And I was like, I have, I'm happy to talk to them about it because I did a lot of research for my clients on these because I know how they work, but I'm just trying to make sure they don't screw it up. Yep. Um, it's, it's a very delicate transaction that has to happen. Plus the maintenance that needs to go on because you Absolutely. are now the custodian of your own 401k plan and you have to have handed it to somebody who's doing the proper reporting, the proper testing, all of that stuff. Like you have to have the ability to understand that you now are responsible for the administration of that plan. Absolutely. You know, and the business just, it just owns the business. You don't. And that's where it kind of like breaks down a lot of the time, I think is because people are like, well, it's my money. It's my business. Well, no, it belongs to the 401k. Um, you know, the other issue I saw was an administrator disappeared with the money. Um, that's a problem. From the 401k. Yeah, it was a huge mess. I haven't heard of that yet, but yeah, it's, yeah that's not good. That was the first Robs I ever met. <laughs> Someone robs the money. Yeah, but somebody robs the Rob. Um, you know, and I just think. They made off with it. They made off with it. <laughs> you know, off. you know, and part of the problem too is, um, so it's been a combination of things of things that I've seen on this end. I know there's plenty of people that are very, you know, very successful with this, with this model. Um, but like both spouses will be in the business. Nobody will be working like a W2 job. I'm like, why do you guys yep. go find a job? The, um, most delicate, the most delicate point as you certainly know mm -hmm. is in the startup phase yeah. and the startup phase technically could last a year. Last two you know, or, yeah. or less. Yeah. Um, if, if you're still struggling after a year, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there might be a problem. But yeah. these are all things that can be flushed out in your due diligence phase as mm -hmm. you're investigating these franchises. Questions like, what is the ramp up period? Mm -hmm. Normally. Yeah. What is the normal ramp up period? What is the COVID-19 2020 ramp up period? Right. Right. Because that's probably a little different. There's a lot of great opportunities still today, though, because of COVID. That's oh, the wonderful yeah. part. yeah. Okay. I think we just kind of went over the biggest pitfalls, like not a good fit, not getting the in proper capital. In most cases, there's quite a few people that are just not a good fit, mm -hmm. but they're still investigating franchises and they think they're a good fit. And, uh, you know, either it's the wrong industry for them or, you know, because you can like to have and run and own a restaurant, but you're not going to be good at it. <laughs> right a lot to it i mean i think a lot of us have worked in restaurants and decided not to be managers of restaurants for very very specific reasons absolutely yeah <laughs> i was like i don't want the hours first of all second of all this place is a mess <laughs> there's a lifestyle. whole culture there's a whole culture and lifestyle in restaurants that has to be a good fit lifestyle is a big piece that i dive into with people mm -hmm. you know how much money do you want to invest how many hours a week do you anticipate? When do you want your money back? And how much do you, what's your expected income based on this investment level? Mm -hmm. uh, are you okay with working nights? Are you okay with working weekends? If not, I have things that fit everybody. Mm -hmm. It's just a question of, you know, how many of those things actually fit nicely? Yeah. Round peg square hole is not a good equation for success. Yeah. I can't even think, I don't, anybody that I like served with, so I served in an on the border. Like I opened a store here in Denver um, and I bus tables and I made tortillas and I bartended and I served and I ran shifts and, you know, I did the whole gamut basically. Um, I don't think I know anybody that still works in a restaurant. Yeah. 
And a lot of people that stay in restaurants stay because of the fact that it's what they know and mm -hmm. there's cash at the end of every ship. Yeah. Well, that was always Especially, awesome. I always had yeah. like, I would like have a stack. My mom was, my mom would get to the point where she'd be like, that stack of cash has to go to the bank. You're making me nervous. <laughs> She's like, there's like thousands of dollars there. And I'm like, we'll put it in a bank account at least. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I should probably go deposit that. Yep. You'd be like, you're killing me with all this cash. And I'm like, yeah, it's mostly ones. <laughs> killing me with cash isn't a bad thing. And this doesn't happen people. anymore though, right? Like, I think it's mostly, it's mostly credit card tips now. It is. Yeah. Which is always, a big, big difference. I always try to tip with cash if I have cash, which is rare, but. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about best categories like right now in COVID-19 2020. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll answer it with the categories, the, the obvious categories you don't want right now. Yes, a big, a big box restaurant like on the border. And this isn't to say anything bad about the big box, 5,000 square foot plus casual dining brands, but any restaurant or any brand, well, let's be specific, any restaurant prior to COVID-19 that didn't do more than 50% of their business from takeout or delivery or to go, um, they were feeling the pain bigger than anybody. They had it figured on the, out. On the contrary, there are quite a few restaurant chains mm -hmm. that through COVID-19 were almost unblemished and almost unfazed because they did a substantial amount of business either through a drive-through mm -hmm. or uh, you know, to go. But specifically industries, I mentioned staffing, so this is fascinating. Before COVID-19, uh, you know, unemployment was low throughout the, the US. Mm -hmm. So clearly when COVID-19 hits, everybody was like shocked for the first couple of weeks or 30 days, like, what is going on here? What is gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Mm -hmm. Wall Street tumbled. <laughs> and of course now it's made a, a roaring comeback. Mm -hmm. um, not quite to where it was, but the initial shock for everybody was like, what is going on? Every industry period. Although people were still eating, you have to eat. So they were still going to their typical fast food places. That didn't change. Mm -hmm. But the staffing industry grind, grinded to a halt. People stopped, mm -hmm. you know, people were doing cutbacks. People were stopped hiring. furloughs. They stopped, certainly stopped hiring, stopped mm -hmm. marketing. But then all of a sudden people are unemployed, unemployed. So guess what? The staffing industry specifically was hiring at a, at a, at a feverish pace and some contracts that didn't exist before started popping back. I can tell you this firsthand, I know plenty of business owners that when they got a chance to reopen, mm -hmm. they couldn't find their employees. Mm -mm. Because you know why? They got too much money from the government. They got too much incentive from the government between yeah. unemployment and other gifts. They lost money if they went back to work. I know, it's crazy, but it's also like, you weren't paying people enough then. <laughs> Exactly. You know, so, like this is going to be a good, hopefully a rebalancing of the wage power. Absolutely. So like the staffing industry, to keep it short, mm -hmm. the staffing industry is actually, most of my staffing franchises are doing really well right now because they've <laughs> adapted. The model has changed. If you're going to look at a pie chart of their business before COVID-19 yeah. and now quite different in some respects. Cool, um, I, I just, I'm I, sorry. I just, I just find this fascinating. Yeah. Well, let me tell you another one. I had a lot of B2B type 
scenarios, mm -hmm. home-based models mm -hmm. that did nothing with virtual uh, networking or virtual anything. It was face-to-face, old-school appointment setting. Uh, the corporation or the franchisor would set your appointments. Well, that went quickly to Zoom or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the franchisees were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Can we do because to never have to leave your house, which is really what I do for a living. I never leave my house normally. Me either. Exactly. I'm not going so, anywhere. So I have a B2B group that was doing quite well and never did any, they, they had like round tables, they had uh, various meetings they would do face-to-face -face with clients and, and guess what? They went right to Zoom and, and they, have, they have some money, so they just spent 250,000 of their own money quarter of a million bucks creating their own Zoom-like system because they didn't like Zoom well enough mm -hmm. in the way their breakout sessions work. Mm -hmm. So they invested that in the middle of COVID-19 so they could bring that to their clientele. Mm -hmm. And now they've adopted that revenue stream for their franchise model that they never needed before. And they still don't need it, but it's an extra yeah. revenue stream born out of COVID-19, which is amazing. I, I mean, COVID-19, and I keep saying this, but like, it's it's forced it's forced people to iterate it's forced them to change how they do things because it's yep. either adapt or die absolutely um i mean i've watched you know there's a lot of in-person accounting firms like that's how they do business is appointment based and that's not how i've ever rolled no. but they don't know what to do with themselves they don't know how to change their model and i'm like here's your rap stack <laughs> that's it and, and <laughs> you know you know, any great, you, you hit on something that's, that's very poignant. Any great entrepreneur that I ever worked for, and I mm -hmm. worked for a lot of really bad people over the years mm -hmm. that were just terrible. Yep. And I, and I worked for a few excellent people. And, and one person taught me, you know, try to spend 10% of your day innovating. Mm -hmm. Think of a different way that you can grow your business. Because innovate, you know, you mentioned adapt and, and die or mm -hmm. die, mm -hmm. you know, adapt and thr or thrive mm -hmm. on the positive side of it. And, you know, innovate or die mm -hmm. because that's what it comes down to innovate or die. And, and let me tell you, home restoration brands, you're asking about brands doing well. Mm -hmm. If you're a home restoration brand, guess what? Mold in your house, a flood, a fire, uh, a natural disaster like a hurricane mm -hmm. or a tornado. We have a lot of those franchises that are all very successful and they're, they're all thriving. I could tell you something funny, all the home repair, whether it's, uh, you know, closets by design. Concrete. <laughs> all my neighbors are doing concrete right now. We all had our houses painted and roofs done and now everybody's yes. doing concrete. And I'm like, what's next guys? Are we doing basements next? Who's, who's up for basements? How about flooring? Maybe we can get a discount. So funny Fences. because- <laughs> there are so many hot franchises that cover everything, painting, yeah. flooring, mm -hmm. um, home maintenance, whatever. And um, several of our brands, we just went through the world's largest franchise conference. A lot of brokers like myself attended and brands. Mm -hmm. There's about 400 of us on this call for a two and a half day deal. And I, there were multiple brands that were talking exa exactly like you. When, when the shock hit yeah. of them being trapped in their homes, you know, the men might have gone to certain corners of their house to work on their man. man Mine's cave. downstairs. He's working you know, in the basement right now. <laughs> my wife he built himself went, a little work workspace down there because he's not. He can't come to my office. 
this you banned them from certain areas, right? Yeah. Well, this is this is my office. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> this is where I run this business for. <laughs> so a long time. Uh, you know, my my wife went to her closet. Uh, hey, do we need to paint the house? Do we need to redo the closets? So one of our one of our closet brands, we have a mm -hmm. couple of those and mm -hmm. lines and other you know home brands said they all said the same thing. They said through the whole shock and awe of the initial 30 days or so, not much going on, let's admit it. Nobody mm -hmm. was doing anything. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, I think it was really like May, mm -hmm. it was like the biggest May that most of these companies, like it crushed May of 2019, crushed. Yeah, that's crazy. Because it was making up for the previous months where yeah. people just sat and didn't do anything. Well, we're all at home going, oh, I wanted to fix that at some point. I should call the people. Want to add an addition on the house? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny because we had already had like that outside of the house, like already scheduled to be painted. But like the whole neighborhood's out like helping us pick, pick paint colors and stuff because everybody's home. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. And then like these neighbors just at concrete and then this one over here is doing concrete. And I was like, when are you doing concrete? Because I have podcasts that I need to do. We have a we have a designer a designer concrete company, uh -huh. one of the few in this niche. You know where uh -huh. you can do like a stamp concrete, but they do mm -hmm. a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. And uh, inexpensive franchise, great technology and propri. Mm -hmm. You know, I always talk about the secret sauce as to why this particular franchise mm -hmm. is successful and will continue to be successful. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, so that's something that's very popular. But home improvement, handyman, handywoman. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll tell you the other piece, uh, you know, fitness is a question mark. Salons haven't recovered yet. You know, they're still mm -hmm. off a little bit. Mm -hmm. I could tell you women's personal care. Like we have a lot of lash lounges and things like that. Um, I'll tell you, my mom was, was getting her whatever done as she needed to and her mask and illegally, whatever it took to get mom back to feeling right. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, mom, mom had to do it. Um, home health care. Home healthcare is one of the brands. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a reason most home healthcare brands franchises are owned by private equity groups, because they, you know, show me the money. Well, they they've seen the money, hmm. and and home healthcare will grow according to all the experts for the next thirty years straight up. So it's really interesting. I have one. Home, I have two. I have two home healthcare companies in our business uh, in the CPA business, and uh, one is going gangbusters because they're respiratory based oh yeah so after care yeah uh, the other died because they were doing post-surgery um, well, there what? is no surgeries right now well guess what you you hit something on the head that i i need to share the most successful home care brands are really that mm -hmm. i call them home health that's kind of the ge generic term mm, that's what they're I call really it. they're really home care brands and it's non-medical care it's companion care Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, my dad passed a few months ago. Uh, he was sick. Thank you. He was sick for 14 years. Uh, not sick the whole 14 years. He That's had rough, definitely some good years. And at the end, my mom hired, uh, you know, got companion care, mm -hmm. but it was really uh, nursing, but it was non-medical. It was just to give him water, let my mom have relief for support, a couple hours. Support and I was there for a month. I was there for a month because mm -hmm. I could lift my dad. Nobody else could. Mm -hmm. But that is the companion care that I'm talking about. And that industry, people do not want to go to a home 
they not, do not want to die in a hospital or a, some sort of nursing home if they have no choice. Mm -hmm. They want to be in their own house, apartment, condo, whatever the heck it is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is what this huge industry is, is born out of. And, and that industry is, is hot. Now, through COVID-19, there was a lot of precautions and, mm -hmm. you know, you're dealing with seniors. And so there was kind of a pause, as I mentioned, uh, in between. But you asked what's hot? That, that's hot. Yeah, I have I have a client that does just in-home pet euthanasia and things kind of slowed down a little bit and then they Absolutely. went. So he's actually on, he might be up from last year. Because well, nobody's taking, I mean, they're like, do I want to take my pet in or do I just want to have somebody come do it here? Not to give you a Debbie Downer, uh, I do hate that expression, but uh, <laughs> sort of sort of franchise, but you know, all great franchises are born out of a need when mm -hmm. typically you see a lot of mom and pops, whether they're painters or, you know, uh, carpenters or whatever mm -hmm. they might be. And then all of a sudden it becomes a franchise that's, mm -hmm. you know, got different, a different set of standards and, um, you know, what have you. Well, similarly, we have a brand that started a lot of mom and pops in the country, but unfortunately it's, um, crime scene cleanup you don't see a body in this scenario it's but you're cleaning up after and you need to work with families so a lot of first responder types have jumped into this franchise you're going to laugh a lot of restaurant manager types that are used to empathizing i'm sorry mm -hmm. your food is late well mm -hmm. sadly there's a little bit of a crossover there and being empathetic and working my, with the public my uncle my uncle actually owns a restoration company and I used to work in it some, so I do understand. And they did, they did some crime scene cleanup as well as yeah. mold. Well, this, they, theirs is mostly asbestos now, but. Gotcha. Well, yeah. And that's, that's a big business. It still is. Yeah. yeah um, for a while. But this crime scene cleanup brand does phenomenally well, sadly. Um, and we don't need to talk much more about that, but it's hard to even get a territory. Oh, real. Yeah. Even with crime down. Interesting. Yeah, there's some factors, you know, that go into unattended death. You know, mm -hmm. if somebody lives by themselves and they die in their home. Especially with COVID-19, there's got to be a whole like sanitized. Yeah, yeah. This is really a, a, a downer kind of conversation. That's okay. But it's a great business. <laughs> See, great I, business. I find medical stuff very interesting. So. Yes, I know. You. Yeah, I'm super like data-driven <laughs> medical, like cool. But, but it is a tremendous business and, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of money to be made and you're doing something really good for your community and you won't have a lot of competition. Right. Cause nobody else wants to do it. I love it. Okay. Um, so where's, what's the easiest way for people to find you for ask my last question. Ionfranchising.com awesome. and uh, ionfranchising.com. My Instagram and Facebook are the same. Okay. And, uh, you know, I have that free assessment. Definitely, by all means, go to Ion Franchise. Yeah, if you want to shoot us the link to that, we'll drop it in the description box. I will. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, okay, final question. If you had a pile of cash burning a hole in your pocket, what would your be what would be your first investment choice for a franchise? Ooh, that's a good question. How much cash? Thirty grand. How much? 30 grand. 30 grand? I have a B2B brand called Schoolie Mitchell. 
B2B mm -hmm. and it's home-based and they're incredible. It's a $60,000, 61,000 and change is their franchise fee as of mm -hmm. today. Could be off a little bit. Um, and they are vendor watchdogs. They help small to medium-sized businesses reduce their expenses. And there's residual income. It's not sexy, but they have an amazing leadership team and they're adding revenue streams. This is a brand where there are people that actually net a million dollars a year. Now I do quite well myself, mm -hmm. but this is complementary to what I would do. So I would take that 30 grand and throw it right into that. That's awesome. <laughs> so and they Dennis, help with vendor Dennis Schooley will thank me, the Dennis founder. Schooley. Dennis Schooley. Schooley Mitchell. Mitchell. What were you going to say? I'm sorry, I cut you off. So, so what do they do? Kind of. They're vendor watchdogs. It's B2B. It's home-based. And they're basically business consultants. They're three revenue streams that they had forever, and they've added recently. Their three revenue streams were reducing uh, businesses' credit card processing, their telecom, and their courier or small freight. Mm -hmm. Those are the three that they've done for years. They wow. recently added last year, at the end of the year, I think they added waste and uh, like trash pickup and recycling mm -hmm. to reduce those expenses. And they're adding, I believe, data storage and some other pieces. And uh, they're already outrageously successful. They already have franchisees netting a million dollars a year. They had somebody sell their franchise for a million seven. I never even heard of them. And <laughs> now that I is have why to go you use a franchise consultant. <laughs> That's that is so exactly cool. That's and by the so way, the, cool. you know, the best part of this, I love doing business through referral. Mm -hmm. So anybody listening that wants to, maybe they're curious, I'm free, use me, call mm -hmm. me. There's a, a, a free consultant link to inquire as well if you don't hit me up on social media. And I pay handsome referral fees or beautiful referral fees, depending on what you prefer. Significant. <laughs> Significant. Huge. Huge. I'm from New York. Awesome. Huge. Yeah, we'll get you um we'll get you set up the code. And Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. You're the best. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.